And now it's winter. It's winter in America. And all the healers have been killed or been betrayed. Yeah, but the people know. The people know it's winter. Lord knows it's winter in America. And ain't nobody fighting because nobody knows what to save. Save your souls from winter in America. Gil Scott called it winter in America in 1974. In 2015, an environmentalist friend and activist wrote an email to me like this. I need help. My heart is breaking over what we humans are mindlessly doing to each other, to ourselves and to the animals, plants, water, ground, and air around us. My struggle is both in allowing myself to really feel this sadness, this grief, and staying engaged in a way forward along the right path. How do I find my way forward? Do any of you feel the same? Am I crazy? This month we are talking about the big questions, the ones that wake you up at night, the ones that shadow you, questions that really do have consequences. Every person I know who's actively engaged in trying to make the world a better place, teachers, environmentalists, bureaucrats, counselors, protesters, students, ministers, community organizers, artists, all of us are asking the same question. How do I find my way forward? How do I feel the real grief about what is happening around us and still stay engaged in the work? Another activist asked it this way, is despair the end or is it the beginning of hope? In her book, So Far From Home, author and activist Meg Wheatley asks a question a little bit differently. How do we find this deep confidence that independent of results, our work is, our work is the right work for us to be doing? Let me say that again. How do we find this deep confidence that independent of results, our work is the right work for us to be doing. Her answer is provocative. First, we need to reconfigure our understanding of change. How do things really come about? And we need to take on the mantle of compassion, like warriors. So what is the nature of change? How do things really come about? 
Most of us think about change as a linear process. It's been drilled into our heads. Change happens step by step by step by step. But in this ever-creating creation, step-by-step movement is not really how it happens. The world does not change one person at a time, no matter how many times we say it or how much we want to believe it. It just doesn't happen that way. This ever-creating creation is a messy, messy confluence of many causes and parts interacting. Life is change, and change is messy. And at the root of it all, at the root of change, is relationship. And we all know how messy relationships are. And I'm not simply talking about human relationship here. I'm talking about relationship in its most profound medical, metaphysical sense. The real of reality, the real of change, is relationship. Like the dance between sodium and chloride that only in relationship makes table salt. Or the confluence of saxophone, notes, piano, ears, hearts, wings, melody, lines that creates a fuzzy bird a bird that changes its flight pattern with every performance. Change is. Change is not linear. Change is surprising, but it's not random. Change comes from some place, from causes and conditions interacting. What has changed is our experience of change. We are inundated with cacophonous change, this dance of the trivial and the profound all in one big gulp through instantaneous communications and networking, Facebook, tweet, text, Tumblr, trending. We are asked our opinions on everything from liking puppy pictures to watching the tragic murder of Walter Scott, wondering what do we have to do to change this? We live in multiple technologies of distraction, too tired to think and overwhelmed in complexities. This is the world we live in. Change in your face. Force-fed, little or writ large. Our basic biological and mental systems are being aggressively hyped out and our fear is insistently jacked up with change as a way to sell us stuff or to get us to do something. And some of the things that they're trying to get us to do are really, really important. Like showing up at the Mall of America and standing in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Like showing up at a rally, like sitting in my office with a youth who is in such despair. 
like cleaning up a riverbed. Don't get me wrong. I love technological advances. I feel I have to give that caveat given my age here. I love the advances that have opened up the wonder of the universe, that have allowed me to transcribe the music I'm hearing in my head and get it onto a page. And the technologies that have saved the lives of so many of my friends. But I'm observing myself, I'm observing my communities, and I'm paying attention to youth, 15 and 14-year-olds who come into my office or sit in the coming-of-age classroom and tell me over and over how stressed out and anxiety-ridden they feel. And when I ask them, what makes you feel better? What makes you feel whole again? To a person, they respond, unplugging taking a walk, baking cupcakes. We are exhausted. We are exhausted in our processes of discernment between things to pay attention to and things to ignore. We are exhausted in the sheer volume of information and responses. We are exhausted in our split focus outward and inward. We are exhausted in trying to piece together a living, raise kids, and really show up for what counts. We are exhausted in change and seemingly no change all at once. Sitting on a bus heading for Selma, I listened as a 19-year-old African-American activist cried about the state of her spirit. Her exhausted, wrung-out 19-year-old spirit wondering how she was going to keep it up. It's winter in America, she said, in essence, and it's winter in my soul. If change, if change really is a dance with multiple partners, a confluence of causes, parts, and conditions interacting rather than the linear step-by-step process, then how we enter the dance is just as important as the dance we're doing. How we dance matters. One more email shot off at 3 a.m. with that edgy vibe that happens when you've had no sleep may not be as important as going to bed. Playing notes with nuance and passion and heart is just as important, or I would argue more important, than playing every single note accurately from the page. One way creates the beauty of music. The other way is a slog for everybody involved.
this idea that if we work even harder, if we cram one more thing into our overtaxed system, we will affect results, feeds the very things we are hoping to change. We become the winter. We become that strident jerk we are railing against. Change is. But this change is not the is we're longing for. Last week, I characterized the message of Jesus like this. The more people love, the more people love themselves and one another, the more people care generously for the human needs of others, the more people treat each other as friends, the more we are accessing the community-forming power of good and God. It's like finding a Wi-Fi hotspot and jumping into the worldwide web of good and grace. That's what Jesus was talking about. This is a message of compassion, and it is powerful. And it's a powerful message in its effect on change. This is not just a message of Jesus, but the message of every sage and wisdom teacher of every major religion. Compassion matters. How we enter the dance really, really matters. Compassion means enduring something with another person or being. Compassion means to endure with another person or being. Compassion was characterized in Hebrew as a womb-like love. A womb-like love. And it must be palpably extended towards ourselves as well as to one, in or, one another in order for the is of change to be the change we are longing for. Wheatley says we must take on the mantle of compassion like warriors. Compassion in warriors is this crazy juxtaposition, right? We associate warriors with aggression and bravery and force. But Wheatley uses the word warrior in the Tibetan sense. One who is brave in their practice of compassion. One who swears an oath never to use aggression. A warrior of compassion is one who refrains from adding to the fear and aggression of her time. How do we find this deep confidence that independent of results, our work is the right work for us to be doing? Compassion is the answer. 
So say all the sages and wisdom teachers through the time, from Confucius to Martin Luther King Jr. It's not simply an idea, but a practice we exercise in relationship to ourselves and others. The email sent out by my friend resulted in a small band of environmentalists ranging in age from 22 to 60, gathering once a month. These are people in the bloodstream of environmental work, finding their spirits wrung out by what they see unfolding before them. Our group doesn't know exactly what we're doing yet. We don't know how to describe ourselves, but each of us shows up religiously each month because something is happening. Something is happening to us. And it's something good. Our meetings have become this hybrid of sharing the life events that have shaped us personally, of sitting with tears about the environment and this racist configuration of our country, wrestling with our despair, committing to staying at the table if conflict should arise, and feeding our bodies with a good meal and our souls with compassionate listening. Wheatley says, you cannot tell who these compassionate warriors are by their appearance. They look like normal people doing their regular jobs. They are, however, extremely well armed. Their weapons are powerful, compassion and insight. Well-trained in their use, they go into the corridors of power to dismantle the beliefs and behaviors that are destroying life. Compassion does not mean stop. Compassion means go differently. Yesterday, I was stuck with the complexity of writing this sermon, grading papers, doing my mother's taxes, and grieving the loss of a dear friend to cancer. One very loud voice in my head said, keep writing, you're not there yet, not by a long shot, keep going, dig in while another voice, way in the background, buried in the noise, whispered, practice what you preach. (laughs) I put my manuscript down, and I went to visit another friend who's struggling with cancer in the hospital. I wanted her to know how much she means to me. I wanted her to know how much I love her. And I wanted to show myself that there is a way to do this differently. This work of growing the soul 
and repairing the world. How will you take on the mantle of compassion today and in the days to come? How are you adding to aggression and the fear of our time? And that includes how are you relating to yourselves? How can you refrain from adding to the aggression and fear of our times? Hold these questions gently. It matters how you enter the dance. May we take on the mantle of compassion and wear it like warriors. May we commit to how we enter the dance as much as to the dance itself. The free laughter of the human's children will be the signal. And it will be winter in America. No more. May it be so. And amen.